everybody it is great to see you all today listen i just can't go and not give you guys at least one podcast during this week and you know what it's been a really busy one my friends got engaged last weekend uh, it was my birthday over the week and i've just been trying to get ready for this upcoming weekend so i want to be able to give you guys a podcast it's gonna be quick it's gonna be easy but it's gonna be efficient damn it i want to talk about some players that are currently some of the most high risk high reward players based on adp now, I'm going to be using FantasyData.com's ADP, the rookie ADP. Unfortunately, it is a single quarterback ADP, so what I'm going to do here is I am just going to go and assume that you are going to stick four quarterbacks in the top four picks, and then Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts beat at five and six, and we'll kind of go from there. So after six, everyone's just going to kind of get moved back four spots, all right? So my first player that I want to talk about is Jalen Waddle. He is currently wide receiver pick number five overall, which would be pick number seven in a Superflex league. Now, Jalen Waddle, we've talked about him on numerous podcasts, but what I want to talk about with Jalen Waddle is that, yes, he is a bit, of, a bit of an enigma, and yes, he's a bit of a black box prospect, but what he can be in the NFL is something that is going to be potentially a top wide receiver in this class. His ceiling is that high. Now, what he did in Alabama was nothing short of extremely impressive, given the little share of what we've been able to see. He was efficient. He was returning kicks. He was a threat down the field. He was fast. He was able to be a threat everywhere. So Jalen Waddle right now is being taken out of position that you're kind of assuming he's going to hit his ceiling, which is really, really scary, especially for someone like me, who's a bit more risk-adverse when it comes to these sort of players. But what he has capabilities of is he has the capabilities to be more than just a downfield deep threat like Henry Ruggs. He is what we wanted Henry Ruggs to be, or at least he can be. And if he's going to be his ceiling, he's going to be what we wanted Henry Ruggs to be. Everyone throws around the, the Tyreek Hill comparisons. Fuck all of that. Tyreek Hill is a one-of-a-kind player that is never going to be replicated again in the NFL. So cut that out. What he is, is he is a T.Y. Hitton, Hilton, Brandon Cooks hybrid. He's going to be fast. He's going to be efficient. He's going to be a yak-freaking monster. He's the type of guy that's going to be possible that you can put up multiple thousand-yard ceilings every year, and then you're like, how the hell did I miss him? in my rookie draft. You miss him because what we've outlined before with KJ on our fan, on our suburban urban nightmare fuel, he is one of the highest projected players that I have seen this year without any statistical evidence to support that other than very small sample sizes. He played four years at Alabama. His saw her saw junior season, he didn't see the field very much because Henry Ruggs was kind of assuming that role that he was playing. He was also with Jared Judy and Devonta Smith. 2020, we all know what he did in four games. He was electric and fantastic. Many have said that Devonta Smith would not have been the Heisman had Jalen Waddle played a full 13 games. He didn't. So we can't go beyond that. But the four games were really good. So I'm not going to jump into this shower narrative with Tua. The offense is open and ripe. 
Will Fuller is a free agent next year. Devonta Parker is aging out. Preston Williams is basically a nobody. Lynn Bowden-Smith is going to be a hybrid type of role, a slot specialist, along with a little extra tricks. Brian Flores is building a team down there for Jalen Waddell to be able to assume that alpha role. If I had to give you my best advice, I'd say taking Jalen Waddle pick 7 to 10 is a little too rich for my blood. However, I do not think you're ever going to be able to see him slip past the 10th pick in the first round. So if you want Jalen Waddle, you need to be at that range. Moving on, I want to talk about Elijah Moore, pick 13 right now. Elijah Moore, well actually that's a single quarterback, so he's going to be around 204 in a single, or in a super flex league. Elijah Moore, has the ceiling to be a Jarvis Landry type of player, a player that has one of the steadiest floors in the fantasy football spectrum, while also providing a large yards after the catch upside. He is a type of individual that I am seeing that has been able to absolutely and completely outperform what we're expecting of him. Everyone sees Elijah Mitchell as a small 5'9", 180-ish pound type of guy, but he is simply more than that. He is going to assume that Jameson Crowder role this year or next year and more. The New York Jets don't have an alpha. I'm sorry, Corey Davis is never, will never, won't ever be an alpha. He may be a 1B. He'll never be a 1A. Denzel Mims, the jury is still out on. It's not an indictment on Denzel Mims. It's not his fault that he somehow tore two, fuck, or he didn't tear, but he sprayed both of his hamstrings. But he did, so he never got a chance to assert himself in that offense. There's a new coach, there's a new quarterback, and the wide receiver room is wide freaking open. Elijah Moore has all the opportunity in the world, especially this year, because Jamison Crowder is a primary cap casualty for the New York Jets. I believe they can get away from him with a dead cap hit under $2 million. If that happens, Elijah Moore is going to skyrocket in drafts, and now is the time to get him early. The secret's already a little out, and I was a little lower on Elijah Moore, and so let me tell you why I'm a lot higher on him now. I liked what he was being able to give. I think he's more than just a slot guy. I think he also offers outside Z sort of a role in the offense, and he's a great player at the yap, in the yap department. But what really sold me on Elijah Moore, and made me sort of double take how I'm evaluating him in the pre-draft process, was how much A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf gravitated towards him. And it's it's beyond just a, a, uh, a teammate sort of spectrum, a friend spectrum. I think, personally, when great athletes recognize another great athlete, they take them under their wing to mentor them, to watch them through, to ensure that they are able to reach their highest of ceilings. And that's exactly what A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf have done. That brotherhood is strong, and it's beyond that. They've been removed for over a year and a half now. Elijah Moore is a special guy, and I think where you're able to get him right now, he is an absolute steal. He is in that enigma of a tier in the wide receiver between two and wide receiver six, where it's just kind of pick your best guy or trade to the back and see who's left. Elijah Moore is one of those guys that I think you should absolutely go up and get his floor his floor is going to be a little underwhelming because he doesn't really offer any. He may not offer the ability to be a, a jump ball guy. He's not going to be a jump ball guy. Let's just put that out there. So if we're talking strictly for Elijah Moore is going to be a 
glorified slot player who isn't going to be able to get as much yak, who isn't going to get the volume needed to be an elite slot player. So he's going to be a flex player at best, and that's what you're going to have to deal with when you're evaluating Elijah Moore is trying to weigh his upside with the fact that he just may not be anything more than an 8-10 to 10 point weekly producer in the fantasy point spectrum, which will probably put around that wide receiver 32 year in and year out, because the likelihood he's going to get a touchdown boost is extremely unlikely, especially since we're talking floor. It means that his yards after the catch abilities are going to be hindered in the NFL level. Next, we have what is currently taking the fantasy world by storm. Listen, what's going on with these two running backs, Michael Carter and Trey Sermon, are just, it is a circus of roulette in fantasy owners. Just who can talk themselves into which storyline they like, they like the most. I've seen Michael Carter go 110 in a Superflex League. I've seen Trey, Trey Sermon go 110 in Superflex League. That is their that is their ceiling of draft ADP. I've seen Trey Sermon go all the way at a 207, but that was a while ago. So what you're seeing with Trey Sermon and Michael Carter, they're going to be in that low end first, high end second round draft picks. The thing is, I'm just going to do both of them because I'm not going to choose. I don't I don't want it. Trey Sermon's ceiling is a we we know what Trey Sermon's ceiling is. Me and Rod briefly talked about it, what it can be on Elijah Mitchell's episode. He's with a Kyle Shanahan system, so they are prioritizing the run, and they have a way offense that is set up to be successful as a running back. So with Trey Sermon being able to do that, his ceiling is going to be a top 15 running back for the next three to four years. He's just going to have that ability and be able to consistently produce that at high levels. His four... His four is a little scary. His four is Joe Williams-esque. The San Francisco 49ers don't necessarily respect any singular running back. They're just trying to play who they need to play to win. Trey Sermon gets lost in the, lost in the shuffle. Trey Sermon is injured again because it's not out of the question for running for San Francisco running backs, specifically teams on the outside zone run scheme. Running backs are just more likely to have injuries in that scheme. So, Trey Sermon already come in a little banged up throughout his college career, come to a scheme that isn't necessarily the best for for running back health. It makes you a little nervous that Trey Sermon's floor could be quite scary. He could kind of be what we're seeing the last two to three years, a player that gets eight games, that does good for those eight games, but then for the rest, doesn't actually produce anything else. So, when valuing Trey Sermon, you have to understand that while we're all being sold this bag of goods that he's going to be the running back one next year or this year, but stop it, Rasheem Mostert is going to be the starting running back week one. Trey Sermon is only getting his shot if he is injured, which, as we just outlined, is entirely possible. So, Trey Sermon, more likely than not, is going to be a wannabe running back one out of this class, but there's always a possibility for him to rise. Now, Michael Carter, Michael Carter is in the exact same position as Trey Sermon, just extraordinarily different. Michael Carter doesn't have the draft capital that Trey Sermon does, but he has a dra- he has an opportunity on the team that Trey Sermon doesn't. Michael Carter's current competition is a journeyman in Tevin Coleman, a sixth-round draft pick in the Michael P. Ryan, and then T.Y. Johnson. So Michael Carter's path to the running back one role is as easy as Mike Davis's path in Atlanta. It's practically booked by week four of the NFL. 
Michael Carter, his ceiling on the on the on the Jets is what they wanted Le'Veon Bell to be. A pass catcher, a runner, a player that is able to be on the field all three downs and consistently be and consistently produce where they need him to be. Michael Carter probably is never going to be a running back one, even at his ceiling, but he will be a very capable running back two. I think that's extraordinarily unlikely, just for the record, if we're talking strictly ceiling here. I don't think that's something that will happen or can happen. His floor? His floor is scary, right? His floor is that Tevin Coleman somehow reignites his life as a Jets. But Michael P. Ryan steals all of the goal line carries. So now it's Michael Carter, who's basically a glorified satellite back on the Jets offense. And next year, Tevin Coleman, I believe, is gone. Michael Carter once again has another team, another player come in and resume that role. I don't know if Michael Carter has the size to withstand a three down back. I don't know if Michael Carter has the pass blocking abilities to be a three down back. Michael Carter is being elevated like a hot air balloon simply because of the opportunity and I am scared and you should be scared too. He is by far one of the most volatile players we have listed with one of the least incentivizing ceilings so far. Up next I want to talk about Pat Fryermuth. His current ADP is basically the second round. I've seen him go as high as an early second. In a non-tight end premium league, I've seen him go as late as a 301 in the Superflex League. He has an extraordinarily wide and fast ADP, and he's being slept on. And I hadn't, haven't done a good job this year to you as my listener, giving you the reasons why Pat Fryermuth deserves to be known more and drafted more. If Kyle Pitts weren't who he is currently, Pat Fryermuth would be dominating this new cycle as a tight end akin to TJ Hawkinson. And it probably would have happened irregardless of Pitts had he not gotten injured last year at Penn State, but he did, so we didn't test and we didn't see him in his final year. But what he did at Penn State was incredible. He set the tight end he set the tight end touchdown record early into his junior season. He was productive he was productive as a freshman. And he is just one of those old school type of tight ends that people like an inline blocker who's able to block, able to catch, and is able to actually create yards after the catch rather than just catch the ball and fall down. Akin to a insert tight end that doesn't do that here. I don't know, it's early. I'm not gonna pretend to come up with one off the top of my hat, my bad. So, Pat firing with his ceiling is that he is a tight end one. And I know that that is a hefty, hefty ceiling, but it is one that I truly and actually believe that Pat Fryermuth has the abilities and the skill set to be a potential tight end one. And he landed on a system and a spot that is going to be very, very favorable for him moving forward. He, after this after this year when Eric Ebron is gone, it is simply Pat Fryermuth's job. And what he is going to be able to do in that offense is going to be very exciting. He is going to have the blocking role, of course, but he is also going to have that slip role that we kind of saw with Heath Miller in the old school Steelers days. I think they're going to deploy him very similarly to how they deployed Heath Miller. And I think that Pat Fryermuth is in his room of possibilities as a top five tight end. His floor is basically the floor for any other tight end, right? Like his floor is what we want Chris Herndon to be, a tight end that occasionally pops, but just kind of stays in that realm of tight end 
11 to 22, the, the, the black hole, so to speak, of the tight end realm where you just kind of stream. And he's nothing more than a streaming tight end in redraft leagues. And in dynasty leagues, there's one owner that's just hanging on hope, hoping he pops year five into his career. Pat Frymuth is a player that I'm waiting on this year to draft, but I will be trading for in season and going into next year. I guess part of what likes what I like so much is I think he's actually a lot more athletic than people are led on to be 6'5", 252, I believe. So people aren't necessarily thinking that he didn't test again due to the injury. So we don't actually know. But when I turned on the film and when I was looking at him, he popped on the field and he looked good doing it. So assuming he's able to rehab completely and regain his full strength, which I believe he had a hip injury. So I don't know if that's going to inflict him moving forward. I should probably talk to Jeff Mielder about that and ask to see what his opinion is. But I think that Pat Firemuth could very well be one of the biggest deals of this draft if he's able to reach his apex ability and hit his top ceiling. I recognize that that sounds goofy. And I recognize this entire segment is kind of stuff that you sort of already know, but I just really want to be able to condense it into stuff with some of the top five players that I'm really looking at that I think are the most volatile, that sometimes deserve upside, sometimes just don't deserve that upside or that hype. Pat Firemuth is one of those guys where I strongly suggest you roster him moving into the 2022 season. This season, I'm not going to push him on you because the likelihood he pops is extraordinarily unlikely, especially with Noodle Arm Ben. The last player I want to highlight is Nico Collins. Nico Collins is going in between that 301 to 305 range in Superflex Leagues. Nico Collins has the hard pop lip. Nico Collins was unable to establish himself as an elite college producer in Michigan, not necessarily because of his own shortcomings, but because of what the position he put himself in by going to Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. His quarterback was Shea Patterson, a quarterback in which does not currently have an NFL draft, even as a camp body, I believe, which is really saying something. The Michigan offense as a whole has been inept and anemic for the last three to four years, and unfortunately, that's as long as Nico Collins has been on that team. Nico Collins was able to carve out a minor role for himself, which I personally think that is something that is incredible and impressive because the ability you're able to actually produce anything in that system is saying something, especially since it's not like he was all alone. He did have Ronnie Bell, and he did have, I believe, I don't think, was it Donovan Peoples-Jones? It may have been Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't quite remember. I don't know if it was. But he was surrounded by players that had NFL talent profiles. He went to his pro day, and he blew everyone away. He produced more than anyone had expected at all. He, was, he ran well, he tested well, he was more bursty, more athletic, more fast than anyone had initially intended, especially at his size. And he kind of gave the class what it needed, which is a heavy, taller, wide receiver, just one that wasn't getting hot touted because, again, his college production wasn't great. At the Senior Bowl, he was consistently dominating in the air. He was winning one-on-one one -on -one balls, he was making good catches, he was using his hands. He wasn't necessarily creating a lot of separation, but he got off the line really quickly. He was able to beat the press. So, he finds himself in the Houston Texans. Now, I'm going to do a one-year ceiling four and then a career ceiling four. So, it's one-year ceiling four is that Deshaun Watson somehow actually plays this year as a Texan, which we're just going to pretend that's a reality. And 
points, and Nico Collins is going to be absolutely peppered as a two behind Brandon Cooks. His game is completely different from Brandon Cooks. So Nico Collins is going to just get destroyed with targets. Probably seem upwards of 90 plus. Probably get at least 8 to 12 targets in the red zone. He's has the ability to have a very impactful freshman or rookie season in the NFL if Deshaun Watson is there simply because on offense as the wide receiver position they have nothing and that team is going to throw a fuckload because their defense is ass and they have no weapons. Their highest weapon on, on running back that's younger than 28 is Philip Lindsay who he probably should be buying right now just a little random non-rookie for the record. His floor is that it wasn't necessarily the Michigan Harbaugh system. It was Nico Collins himself. He was never able to actualize any opportunity because he just isn't able to put it all together, year one or his career. That's his floor. He's a risky prospect. That's why he's in the third round because we don't really know what we're to look for. We're projecting that he's going to be great. It's entirely plausible. There's been plenty of prospects in his position before that have not panned out. I am of the position that I think he will, which I, I think. His career stamina is more likely where he is just a perennial wide receiver too, moving forward, and a wide receiver that is able to assume the alpha role in the Texans position, and when they bring in another wide receiver, because Brandon Cooks isn't going to play forever, is going to probably take that 1B role, potentially the 1A, but it is very likely that Nico Collins is a fantasy producer for years to come, and you're able to get him cheap. He may not be a wide receiver one. I find it unlikely in his cards, but a high-end wide receiver two seems to be a possibility, more like a career average wide receiver two high-end flex play. Still has value, still very worth it, especially because you can probably sell him if you don't like what you're seeing after you see the Texans, how they handle this season. Okay, everyone, I appreciate you being here. I apologize for my lower voice. It is 8 o'clock. My girlfriend is sleeping. We are about to travel. I woke up early, and I said, fuck it, I'm taking advantage of this. I want to get you guys at least one podcast. So I really appreciate your your time. I really appreciate what you're doing. And I will talk to you guys next week. It may not it may be another week of low content just because it. I'm going to be out when I'm usually producing my podcast, but I will do my best to get you at least one. Have an incredible day. Be safe. Be great. If you could please rate and review this, I would be appreciative. Take a screenshot. Send it to me on Twitter. Ask me a question. I will answer it. Even if you don't ask me a question, I'm always there, always available for you guys. You can find me on Twitter at BFFSamM. You can find my Dynasty and Retract writings on the FFAffair.com. My Debbie writings you can find on BreakoutFighter.com. I'm going to have a white uh, article dropping about Quad Davis, a Juco transfer going to Ole Miss. And if you want to see me, Brandon, and Corey break down a multitude of Debbie players, you can go to YouTube and type in Debbie Deep Dive. Alright, have a wonderful day. Appreciate you. Peace.